This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem at Asia Torah, overlooking the Temple Mount. Today we are um, discussing rebellion. Rebellion is, is a very healthy thing. You see, the way institutions work is they're usually pretty top-heavy. Like, there's these people on the top. They're called, uh, I guess you'd call that management. <coughs> management. But in Hebrew, they're usually called uh, the people from hell. Okay? Which means min ha hell. Okay? <laughs> min ha hell. Okay, that's management. <laughs> and then there's Minha Helim. Yeah? And uh, the job of management is to be at the top of a big system. Yeah? So at the top of a big system, there's the little guy and there's the big guy. Now, the issue with, with Minha Hells is you notice I set it up like a cap. It's kind of like the cap that's capping off everything. Make it like a little pill cap there. Okay? The reason, the, the problem with the management and the, is that how they became the managers is they had great ideas. Like they have, they have like, we're going to make a restaurant chain or we're going to create a cell phone company or, or we're going to make an education system or we're going to make a government. Or they're, they're always making something. And they usually have quite inspiring ideas, meaning that usually they're, they're pretty spot on on their ideas because if they weren't spot on, none of us would know them. But we all know them, and we all know them a little too well. They're dangerous in general, and we'll explain why as we go. But they, they usually have great ideas, and then we, the consumer, or we, the person who needs to be educated, or we, the, the citizen of the government, we need them. We need them. These people are helpful. They're helpful. They, they help us do things. They get water to our faucets. Okay? They, get, they, get, uh, they get potholes fixed. And they help with with medical and education and stuff. We we need these people. These are good people. They only got one problem, and their main problem is is that the types of people that are attracted to nihul to hanhalan to to management, the types of people who are attracted to this, are usually the types of people who are not very um, flexible. And that's good, because if you're going to hire someone to manage something, you're not looking for, you know, you're not looking for mixed Mr. or Miss Flexibility, okay? Because it's not easy to manage things, and a lot of things happen underneath the management, and if you have management that's too flexible, so then the, you know, everything just falls apart. And so these people tend to be inflexible. They tend to be the more rigid-style personalities. Now, half the world population has rigid personalities. That's the nature of human beings. Human beings are either flow or structure. That's how it works. On your right side is your flow side. That's your associative brain, even. And on your left side are structure. It's your, your uh, analytical brain. And all of us have a bit of flow and structure to us, but we all have permanent settings, like factory settings, towards either flow or towards structure. And management people are always going to be on the structure side. You never want a flow person managing things. That's not going to be good. Okay, so like I'm a big flow meister, and I run a company around the world, and everyone working for me are, are structure people. Very frustrated structure people. Because in the end, I'm, I am the CEO, 
and they all have to deal with me. And that's challenging at times. What do you uh, think of the saying, if you keep opening your mind, your brains will fall out? Yeah. Um, I guess my brain fell out a long time. How you doing, Rabbi? Thanks for always delivering that food to the poor family that needs to eat every Shabbos. Thank you very much. Please, God, we'll help you out a little later. Thank you. Okay? So, anyway, down below is all kinds of people. All kinds of people. So you get more rigid people who are like really appreciate the structure. You get more flow people who often are love to gripe about structure. And don't you know, don't really appreciate that structure very much. But here's the big issue. And the big issue is that God created a dynamic world and things change and things move. So as much as structure exists, meaning NASA NASA requires that you know the structure of the universe works like clockwork. So God put major structure in this creation. But he also put great uh, uh, change and variables and, and uh, you know, it's weird. Like, on the one hand, there's like tremendous structure such that we can totally rely on with air travel and, and, and car travel and there's a structure to the world and the gravity works just so that we can rely on it Yet at the same time, it's like we're walking on molten magma because things are shifting all the time. Things are always shifting. Uh, your moods are shifting all the time. Moods are shifting. The seasons keep doing their shift. The weather, even in one season, can flip and be the opposite weather for weeks at a time. So there's like, well, what happened? that wasn't very reliable, was it? You know. And, and here we're in nature. Nature, like seasons, are pretty reliable. But they can flip on themselves like that. Earth, which seems solid, can become earthquakes and fissures across a city. They, there's, there's a tremendous dynamism going on here. And there's, there's a creativity that takes place on an individual level, but it also takes place on a, on a mass societal level. Creativity, which, which, you know, good luck governing a shifting population when their actual creativity and their self-expression of it, these things can change. And what criteria anyway are management using to hold everything in place? Well, it's usually public opinion because management often is elected. And who's electing them? Well, whoever's electing them are the people whose opinions are best, meaning whose needs, which is their opinions, are best met by them. Except people's needs and people's opinions change. And it's not like most management are keeping the Torah, which has an eternal, you know, an eter- it's going to be forever, you know, meaning in a Torah system, flow and structure and every kind of personality is going to find their needs met. I remember uh, my brother, my brother Aaron, when I, when I came to Asia Torah, Everyone at Asia Torah used to give me a really hard time why I won't turn my turn on to Judaism, my brother Andy. Why is Andy always ignored? And uh, and uh, they're like, buy him a book or something. Like, do something for the guy. My brother was a real estate guy in L.A. You know, with like big muscles and like you know, Armani suits and 
B- matching BMW to his Nokia phone, and, you know. Like I mean, this guy, this guy was something, you know. But he was. So when they would ask me this, I would say to them, "Leave me alone about Andy. He doesn't have a spiritual bone in his body." Meaning, the way I was experiencing Torah my first three years here was for me, and just didn't seem to have anything to do with this guy. Like they just couldn't. They wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked out for t- my brother and Tara to be connected. Anyway, long story short, he shows up at my wedding. He's not going to miss my wedding. He flies to Israel for my wedding. And his business was running itself, so he stays for a month. And he came, he, he came every day from Tel Aviv to hang out with me. You know, around noon he would wake up and get in his rental car and come to, Tel- come to Jerusalem. Except I wasn't available I just got married. And I'm learning in Kolel. And so by the time he'd get to Jerusalem, I was back in Kolel, and all that was left was my wife. Now my wife was slamming him over the head with her spatula about Judaism. Because to my wife, she's like, Listen, I don't know this guy. What do I know? I just <coughs> give him Judaism. So she gave him Judaism. I didn't. She did. And he arrived in L.A. with a kippah on his head. And within a very short time, he became a breast lover of Chassid, moved to Israel, learned full-time for four years, becomes a rabbi, and then goes on to become one of the greatest, most inspirational campus rabbis that New York University ever knew, that that uh, York University in Toronto ever knew. And he really just became this... But here's the thing. He became the most spiritual... You know, Breslau's into meditation, like an hour a day in private. and He became the most spiritual person that he became like a Rebbe to me. Like, to me, he was a Rebbe. He helped me, guided me. He helped me with so many things in my life, spiritually. And he also, his, his grasp and commitment to halacha was so complete that, that he was like, you know, he would kind of point out my own bloopers my bloopers in halacha like when I would make a mistake he would be like uh, pull me aside very politely later and say you know when I saw you on Shabbos you made a little mistake there with that pot and uh, and I was like thank you brother thank you for telling me that is he older brother? he's older than you anyway Torah Torah has room for every kind of person, no matter who they are, including Gentiles. There's seven laws for the Gentiles. Keep the seven, go to heaven. I get these Gentiles, and hi, everyone who's Gentile watching this, because I have lots of Gentile students all around the world, from Africa to Mumbai, India. And and I just had someone from... There's someone who watches me from Serbia. Hello there, whoever that is from Serbia. Sorry, I forgot your name. And... uh, and all over the Americas and stuff, they always, after these classes, they, they're kind of hooked on the classes, and they're like ready to convert to Judaism. And But Judaism even has room for you to be a, a Gentile who's connected to Hashem. And that's great. And uh, without, it's like, it's like the best deal in the world, because think about it, all we want as Jews is to be connected to Hashem. The problem is ours comes with this massive 55,000 law Liability that we got to deal with. Gentiles, connect to Hashem, you know, you're all set. 
You know, there's no major liability. You know, we can like, we we can like, touch a light switch and go to hell. <laughs> Gentiles can't go to hell touching light switches. You know, it's just not gonna. It's just not a ticket to hell. You know. By the way, when I say hell, I'm just obviously we're discussing Kabbalistic deep things, not like the Christian version with pitchforks and devils and all that stuff. I mean, you don't have a body. Where is he going to put the pitchfork? You know. So, um, what are we talking about? Management. So management doesn't have a lot of room for the the percolating, dynamic, shifting of the sands of humanity. Just doesn't have room for that. And that's why they have something called a revolution. America had a revolution. I think England had revolutions. French had a revolution. Israel's had a revolution. I mean, they were they were revolted against the British rulership and the Jordanians. There's been a revolution over revolu- after revolution after revolution in countries around the world. Once in a while, there's even a revolution in businesses, but businesses are harder to have a revolution in because they, you know, there's the guy's written in a CEO. Like, what are you going to do about that? And he's got a whole executive staff that are all on contract. How do you how do you push them out? And so that's why you know sometimes these titanic businesses will fail because the management didn't know how to move with things. They did not move with the shifting of the times and the shifting of the needs. And, and you got to pay very close attention to be a manager and to run a business. Also, you got to be very awake. It could be it could be your products. Everyone's loving your product, but all the competitors in your particular product have found a much cheaper place or a cheaper way to produce. And you just get you think everything's going great, and all of a sudden your business goes off a cliff because everyone else is selling your same product for half the price because they all found a cheaper way to do it. And so these things need to percolate up into management. Otherwise, there are there are problems. Now, uh, when it comes to education, this is particularly harsh because, because the, um, when you have a flow personality, education systems, even the word system doesn't work for flow personalities. So education systems will often crush flow personalities. And then the flow personality will often make, it, they'll start to believe about themselves that well, there could be several things they could believe about themselves. One of the things is that they might believe that they're dumb. It's, it's school, you know. And it's hard to do well in a school system when you're flow. And so they might start believing that they're dumb. Um, they might also develop anxiety over exams because they don't do well with timelines. Meaning, de- did I say times? They don't do well with timelines either, but they don't do well with deadlines. They don't do well with deadlines. They don't do well with systems to begin with. And they certainly don't know with deadlines, which can cause a certain amount of anxiety and a, and a uh, consistently you know, difficult many years. Of the important development of years were spent under stress and anxiety over the, the deadlines that were coming, for, whether they were for papers, whether they were for exams, or whatever they were. And then, of course, the grading experience, getting graded, where, you know, I've, I was in classes many times where the smartest person in the entire class was a flowmeister who couldn't seem to get anything better than C's. 
and he was by far the smartest person in the class. But C's was the edge. Rabbi, can you take off your hat, please? You're, this woman behind you is constantly trying to see what's going on in front of you. Thank you so much. So, I'm still here. very handsome. Uh, my wife says that. Okay, we're not going to get into that. Now, the the anyway, I've been in many classes where the where the the smartest person in the class was the one getting the worst grades because the system wasn't built for them. Just wasn't built for them, and that guy comes away feeling pretty dumb, and and so school didn't serve them well. I was just watching an interesting video that, and this is gonna be a total aside right now. I, I I was just watching a video that was about how the education system never educates you about money. You ever thought about that? You ever been in a class titled money? Is there a class titled money in high school, junior high school, elementary school? And isn't that like every kid's little interest when they're little kids and they're like, where do we get our money from? Where does money come from? How do you get money? Yeah? Like, uh, come sit somewhere. It was a good spot right there. How do you, how do you get money? Come from the table. Nice. Did you say money is important? What do you guys think? Money on a scale of 1 to 10, how important is money? <laughs> Very important. Nice long board, by the way. I see you got a long board. I see you got a long board. I went to your house trying to buy other ones. And Mine's not that long. You didn't respond, dude. I know. I'm having trouble selling my skateboards. I'm having an attachment. Uh, what is it called? Attachment issues. issues. Yeah. They're dying, though. My skateboards? Yes. They're dying to be ridden. <laughs> Maybe it's better I just give them away than sell them. I can't seem to sell them. Maybe I can give them easier. I can't see myself well, giving them. So I can't give away my skateboards. Rent them out. They will still own them. What? Rent them out. Rent my skateboards. Skateboard rentals. I'll put a sign up on my door. So, anyway. <laughs> They're just me lining up for miles. We'd like to... Rent this for the next three years, please. You really care about Sector 9? Sector 9. I care about all my skateboards. I don't know why. I don't ride them. I'm just not in the age where hitting a curb and flying five feet onto my wrists is going to be a good good experience. So, okay. you got to stop making noise, though, that's for sure. The, uh, <laughs> just let it kind of roll down the, down the classroom. Anyway, I'm on a parenthetical thing, but isn't it interesting no one ever taught us about money? Hey, maybe your father taught you about money or your mother taught you about money, but we went through 12 years of education. There was no class. I, I went to a university, kind of. There, there was no class titled Money and How to Make It. They teach that money is evil. Well, they teach that money is something you, you sacrifice for. You put in this amount of hours and you get this amount of money. That was taught. That was definitely taught. But money is a whole subject. It's also, there's a lot of psychology involved in money. Probably all of us are, the amount we're earning has a lot to do with our upbringing. Money and Beyond by Arnold Patton. 
Yeah, the books, people write great books on money. I mean, there's a lot of books. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah, there's a, there's a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah, something like that. It's probably about the psychology of money from our fathers. Exactly, how you were brought up. Yeah, but you would think they would have taught us about money and helped us through this subject. Book. What's that? I heard the audio book for Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So the, the video I was watching was a real conspiracy theorist, like saying, like, they're specifically not teaching us about money. Because the the likelihood, if we don't know about money, that we're going to go with the classical sacrifice, mm. for, the sacrifice version. Like you sacrifice your life in order to have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all wrong. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's right or wrong when it comes to money, but but the uh, but Judaism certainly is uh, has a really nice nice relationship with money. You know, the Torah meaning the Torah is very nice about money. For example, the poor. Are supported by the by the citizens, not by the government. Uh, you never want to leave the poor to a government. That's not going to be good. You know, the poor should not be in, the government should not be in charge of our poor. We have to see it as a personal responsibility. Every citizen sees the poor as their problem, and uh, that's that's really good. And and also um, we have uh, built in ten uh, percent already off the top that goes to the place you choose. 10% off goes to the place of your choice. That's really nice. Um, that keeps society kind of lubricated, that I get to choose where my where the money comes off, where the money I take off that I don't even see as my own. That money, it's up to me where it goes. So if everyone's going to make their choice where it goes, well, each of us are going to have a different tzedakah we love. And that just keeps the whole system lubricated. Some people like feeding people. Some people like, like uh, you know, building and like, yeah, some people like housing. Like, there's like a million different options of what you can do with that money. Some people like starting other people in business. You know, there's a lot of use of, of those things. Yeah. Um, can I, it's just bothering me. I just want to ask you. Uh, it's what you're talking about a bit earlier. The rebellion. Yeah. No, and manage, management. No, Structure. Structure. Judaism, I know about the structure, but where's the flow in Judaism? So where's the flow? (laughs) So, well, there's three sections. So there's intellectual, there's interpersonal, and then there's uh, instinctual. So the flow in in the intellectual is in Kabbalah, Uh, in Midrash. Oh, right. No, the whole understanding of the texts. And the Torah as well. Tanakh. Yeah, the Torah understanding is all flow. Okay, then there's um, now obviously when you're understanding halacha, that's going to be floor structure. Structure. That's going to be all the structures. Okay, now um, then you've got in the interpersonal range, that's the heart area, that's going to be prayer. Prayer is pure flow. There's a structure to prayer, but you know, (laughs) you get stuck in there, you're never going to pray. That's not prayer. Prayer is going to be the flow. So, so prayer is flow. And, um, and you also your relationship to God is got it's certainly kind of dynamic to it. You know, you're like you're. We're all like in this. Think about it. We're all inside a giant personal growth seminar for like eighty years, and everything that happens to you is is God just because when you're a personal growth leader, you you're poking and prodding your participants in ways that are super uncomfortable to get them to scream. 
because in that scream will be their breakthrough. They've got to scream something out, and you got to upset them, and you got to frustrate them, and you can't believe what, like for example, my seminar. You can't believe what I put the people through. It's amazing what I put them through, and all I'm really waiting for is one of them to freak and, and against me. Because when someone freaks against me, I've got two things I get to do. One, I get to subdue him powerfully, which puts everyone now into full surrender mode because no one's going to mess with me after they saw what happened to him. You understand? Once they, I need someone to mess with me like that. And then the whole group goes into surrender mode because no one's going to mess with me after that, after they see what happened to the guy who messed with me. But the other thing is, is where is he freaking, the guy who freaked? He's freaking right where I'm touching a nerve. You know, I'm throwing salt into some wound when he was six years old that happened on a playground, you know, like whatever. He didn't get picked for the team or whatever the thing was or some humiliating moment or, God forbid, a trauma. Sometimes it's trauma. Sometimes it's a molestation. And here I am totally in control of the room. And no one can move a muscle without me noticing and this whole time, he's having that nerve of his molestation pressed press the whole time. And, the, and until he freaks, which is now, now's our moment. So all, all my coaches are like, we're going in. You know, and I mean, I have people working for me. So we're like, this is it. You know, we're, this is the big time. And, and we're going in. And what's going to happen is everyone else who was ever controlled in their life, forget molestation. He's the one with the molestation. But there's 10 other people who were totally controlled in their upbringing. You'll go to this school. You're gonna to go to. You're gonna to go to this camp. You're gonna to go to. These are gonna be your friends, and and we're gonna keep an eye on you, and you don't move a muscle without it asking us. And this is who you're marrying, and it never ends. And and all of a sudden they're freaking while I'm dealing with this one guy. And and then it's just like boom, like the whole thing just becomes this giant transformation of life itself. And, and this is the seminar we're all in with God. We're all in this seminar. <laughs> the reason I run a micro-seminar in God's macro-seminar is because ain't nobody got time for God's seminar. There's, just, there's kids getting hurt. You know? like if, you're not, if you don't have your act together and you're not burning clean fuel and you're raising children, well, but, well, you know, that's not fair. Because all of us are real stubborn when it comes to God's seminar. All of us have a hell of a time surrendering to the process all of us live in mostly in resistance even right now I can show you right now you want to see resistance uh, you guys mind uh, being filmed back there just because can I flip the camera you're not ditching some seminary or something are you? thanks anyone ditching Sam I apologize for this. so if I come over can I use you as my example because the guy next to you is fast asleep <laughs> Okay. I don't know if you guys can see me over there. Yeah, there's my hand. Okay, so watch this right. Does he look relaxed? Can I use you again, really? You'll be my lovely assistant. Let's hear it for my lovely assistant. <laughs> Rabbi delivers food to a family every Shabbos. They eat what he brings. It's amazing. Okay. What happened? Oh, go back to where you were. Okay, does he look relaxed? All right, he looks relaxed. He's not making any, he's not using any muscles or anything, is he? Or is he? Let's take a little look-see. Take his hand, yeah? Who's holding his hand? What about He is. See that? I let go, it's still up. What's going on? Perhaps he was using, he's obviously using muscles here, right? 
Well, perhaps he was using them when his hand was down as well, because here where I take his hand, and I'm holding it, let me hold it. Let go of all your muscles, let me hold your hand. You'll see that as I asked him to let go of his muscles so I can hold his hand, you'll see I'm holding nothing. He will not let go. And it's not that he doesn't want to, and it's not that he didn't hear me say, please let go. It's just that when you have your muscles always engaged for no reason at all other than surviving your resistance against life itself, because your your life you resist. Because all of us have deep down complaints about our lives. And we've all suffered and we've all been through so many things that we're all holding on for dear life. And we refuse to surrender to the to the seminar leader called God. And so he's like super patient. He just kind of lets you go on and 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 on. And then they bury you. But once in a while, someone actually surrenders and lets all their weight go. Now, I'm not expecting a miracle right now. But let's see if, let's just give Rabbi Shalom a chance to let go. Right now, you're just holding all your weight. Oh, that was better. But you should really, I mean, I should be feeling, I think an arm weighs about 15 pounds, maybe 20. Okay, let it go. Give me the weight of your hand. No, 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 just let it go. That's not going to happen. So, just tell me if the camera flips. Did it flip? Not yet? Let's hear it from my lovely assistant. It's so sweet. And by the way, all of you would have made that same mistake unless you've been working on it. People have been working on it, like, come take my hand. I've been working on this for years. Okay. Yeah, let go. Okay. It did. There's just again. I'll give it to you again. I don't know if it was in the camera. Hold it higher. But I want you to feel the weight. Here's. This is what I was feeling with him. Right. And now, don't let go yet. Let me really let it go. Okay. And and imagine imagine every bone in your body being suspended by your muscles only because they're in use. You're using that part of your body. But imagine the energy that we lose. Imagine the energy that we lose having muscles engaged that we're totally unconscious of because we're all in some kind of resistance. You know, you know they've, they've checked that deer, that, you know, they, one of the ways environmentalist agencies that are against constant construction in, you know, areas of the world. The, uh, you know, where people are kind of taking over the wildlife areas. So how do they know? And what are you going to do? Interview a deer? Like, how's it going this little deer? You know, with all this construction all around you. So the way they do it is they actually test the stool samples of the deer. And you can tell just from the digestion of deer how much space they need. Because when they get a certain amount of space... Their stools are the same as the deer that have total space. But when you start encroaching, because the neighbor who's built there, and they're there, and they're boxed in, but they're boxed in with a couple of miles of space, all of a sudden, at a certain amount of lack of space, they suddenly, something's tightening up in there. Something, something inside. And these are involuntary parts of our bodies that are suddenly in resistance to something. Something's going on. 
And that, that's pretty scary. I mean, at least my voluntary muscles, they should be relaxed. What about my involuntary muscles? What about my arteries? Shouldn't they be flowing blood real smoothly? And my heart should be beating nicely? My lungs should be breathing smoothly. Like, how much resistance going on in the involuntary parts of us? And the cell structures and the cell manufacturings. Like, uh, you know, people, there are people whose bodies get so resistant to them that their cells will actually fight them instead of help them. That's, that's called cancer. It's where the body finally turns against the person. And some of those people you just would never guess are in resistance. They seem like they're not in resistance. But a lot of this resistance we're not aware of because, because it's just deep stuff. And this is why um, many people have gotten healed from these things, all kinds of things, including just being able to let their muscles go. So many people have been healed from these things just by being in surrender experiences, where, where you create a fictitious, a, a simulated surrender situation. And that surrender situation can heal people. It happens in, in religion. It also happens in Judaism, where someone will totally surrender themselves to God and get healed. It happens in in, in relationships with leaders. Now, this isn't always so healthy. Obviously, this can be dangerous too. But there are people who have totally given up to their rebbe. They've totally given it up to their rebbe, and then we're able to turn around and I mean, give it to the rebbe and and su- surrender. Now, I'm saying there's danger in this. That last one I mentioned. There are. Medicines. I know I'm always mentioning psychedelic medicine in my class, but there are medicines that, that they're giving now people in Johns Hopkins and UCLA and uh, NYU and Israel universities and England universities. Other European countries are, are spearheading this work where they give you something that takes you on such a difficult journey that you, not that particular one doesn't make you have to surrender, but take you on such a difficult journey that you must surrender during it. And, and there's one that people go to the Amazon for with every kind of disease. And in 10 days, they'll do four different sessions. That one's called ayahuasca, and which is now you don't have to go to, you don't have to, go to the Amazon for that one. And, and people will go there with diseases. And, but here's the thing. The Indians believe it's the medicine that they give. You know, the, the ayahuasca itself is doing the healing. I don't think so. I think what's healing them is that you cannot, you cannot not let go once it's in your bloodstream. What are you going to do? It's in your bloodstream. You're stuck. And now the effects are coming on. And now the world's freaking out all around you. And it's a completely like, you're in an extremely mind-altered state. And there's nothing you can do about it except surrender. I wouldn't be surprised if those medicines don't, I mean, they, you might have a visually incredible experience. You might have a visually horrific, frightening experience. But I think it could be, and this is pure theory, I don't know this, but it could be that the healing that people get from this is the surrender. Is that there, once the body has, you have to surrender. You know, there's no way out of that. You know, when something's in your bloodstream, you're, you're stuck, you're going on a wild ride. And, and therefore there will be a surrender necessary that will be that could be very healing and that's only in Alaska what's that? And that's all psychedelics 
uh, force you into a surrender state unless they're low dose. If it's low dose, then they're they Yeah, that's that's very. The MDMA experiences for tra- experiments for trauma are showing very positive signs, and FDA is going to be a little bit of a pickle with that because. Because they're in third phase. Third phase means if you pass third phase, and they're so we're getting eighty percent success rate. If you pass third phase, the FDA is supposed to legalize it. And it's like they're, they're, they're like they're having an identity crisis because like these 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 substances which they've been making illegal, you know, in the 1960s, 70s are now suddenly becoming, you know, questionable whether they should actually be be not only legal but could maybe take the whole world off antidepressants, which are showing very little efficacy in their, in their, um, in the job they do with depression and anxiety and, and addiction and, and um, trauma, PTSD. The, 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 the medical world has failed us, and the, and the FDA is now getting stuck having to kind of backtrack. And by the way, it's not just the backtracking of substances that are illegal, it's the fact that they just had 40 years of dark ages medically. People have died from suicide in the, in the tens of thousands of you know horrific crash and burn medical fail, medical uh, industry failure. And it's to look yourself. The FDA would have to look themselves hard in the mirror and say, "We failed the population for the last 40 years." And families have been ripped to shreds over this. Not to mention hundreds of thousands of mothers going to bed every night in Mexico because of their missing children, because of the drug wars, because when these things are illegal, and the long arm of the government stretches into people's people's internal freedom, I mean, it's your life, it's your brain. When that long arm of the government comes and stretches in and says they're going to protect us from these things, things go illegal, drug wars ensue, and and incredibly beautiful and holy special people all over the world are going to bed with their children missing now for decades and they're, they're not alive anymore but who knows where they are and where the bodies are meaning all over you know the war on drugs you know, what about the people who overdose yeah they would never have overdosed had they been legal the uh they would have been properly measured, properly identified. Probably half those overdoses were the wrong medicine. They just it was because it wasn't. Have experiments with that also to have like places where you can use and have doctors medically. It's all the all those uh, not all but many of the overdoses were from, from the drugs because of the drugs. Huh? Yeah, you never would think of that, right? <laughs> it's like totally counterintuitive that. That the overdoses were because they they don't know what they have, they don't know the amounts they have, they're they're completely unguided because they have to keep it a secret because they don't want to go to jail. They're buying it from God knows what kind of scoundrels. Stress of having to steal to have the money. Right, and meanwhile, there's countries all over. So it's a lot of time mixed with other stuff that. Like mixed with other stuff that wasn't because it was you know it was all under done in basements, basement laboratories, and. And meanwhile, well, the, the joke's on us because there's countries in the world, like in South America, that these have been their medicines for thousands of years. They don't, they consider it the medicine. It is the medicine. Like, and we're like told that, no, that's illegal. You need our medicines. You'll use our medicines. 
and then and then of course it's a billion dollar industry, and then you got drug rehabs, billion dollar industry, drug rehabs. I mean, there's a bark in Africa that one ingestion of this bark, one ingestion of this bark will take someone out of addiction for the rest of their life. One ingestion, one ingestion of this bark. You know, it's no fun to ingest that bark. It's you know you're going to be in bed for three days, unconscious the first day. You know, I mean, you're totally conscious, but someone watching you would say he died. Mm -hmm. And they're checking your, they keep an eye on your vitals and stuff. I mean, you're not going to die. Someone's going to be, it's highly responsible. People, you get a full life review. You get to heal all the stuff that led to the gaping hole in your heart that needed the drug or the heroin or whatever it was that people wound up on. What is that for? It's it's called Iboga. 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 I-B-O-G-A. Another illegal substance, of course. And the... Uh, but do you believe in them? I know it for a fact. I know that people are the addicts who are no longer addicts because of the other Yeah. So, Damn. so the... Um, anyway, but of course, that's got to be made illegal. And now, who do you think's pressing them to make that illegal? The re- no, the rehabs. Rehabs. And they, I think they even... I saw an expose that even proved it. That it was a, it was a coming in strong, totally legal because no one had ever heard of it, and coming in strong. And there were already documents, documentaries. You can go on YouTube and watch like CBS Live with a new miracle heal cure for addiction, and, and then all of that was just like king, like gone, gone like that. You know, and you know what the you know what the efficacy of a drug rehab is, and I don't know what their percentage success rate is, but I think it's horrible. I think the sex sex rate is not good. Um, everyone, this class was a little bit about everything. Um, please, everyone, if you give change to the rabbi, they'll buy drinks for the they'll buy drinks for the family. If it folds, he can buy fish and meat. And this class is always the one that feeds this particular family. So please uh, do what you can. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.